city limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City Limits. limits. Okay, and uh, city limits, that's the theme, and uh, <laughs> and let's hope the show lives up to it. Um, or it will, because John McPherson's here, I don't want to upset him too early. No problem um, with the limits, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it's city limits, it's the first Wednesday of the month, of course, because we've just had May Day. And uh, just on May Day, I was pleased to hear the uh, Governor-General early in the morning talking about the great struggles and the difficulties. And I thought, isn't it good he's acknowledging May Day, but it turned out he was acknowledging some, some other theatre of war that he loves. No mention of May Day. Yeah, I notice he, he turns yeah. up anywhere there's a military. Oh, uh, doesn't he love it? Yeah, there, yeah, there was a... Yeah. Uh, but, of course, I'm, I'm sure... I'm, May Day didn't quite get exactly the same level of coverage as, say, the train killer day a week earlier. I noticed, but <laughs> they've got none whatever. Um, no. But anyway, that's that. It is City Limits. First Wednesday, I'm Kevin Healy. That's John McPherson over there. He's our expert on transport. who comes in on the first Wednesday every month. Lynn Drummond's pressing the buttons and she's part of the team. Um, and Andy's over there uh, waving his hand and he's sort of part of the team too. He is part of the team, but uh, yeah, there you are. Um, we're gonna, John, we're going to talk lots of things on transport. There's a fair bit in budgets and things at the moment as well. Mm. There's, um, there's, there's roads, to, there's rail from Melbourne to Brisbane being lined up. There's um, new lines in Victoria and, of course, there's more roads, etc. as well. In uh, the first half, we're also going to have a yarn to uh, Christine Harris, who's part of a group known as the Spotswood South Kingsville Residence Group. We talked to them last... We didn't talk to them. We talked about last week their meeting they had last Thursday night protesting over the... Um, what's effectively the transurban uh, road, the Western Distributor, as they now call it, um, out in the West. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and they've got, they claim it's going to create more and more problems. So we're talking to her about them, how their meeting went and what, the, what their objections are to the whole thing. Good. In the first half of the show. Um, John, and other things, I just thought, well, let's do our usual start with the sure. Herald Sun. Look, I better pour a cup of tea. Yeah, well, we might need yeah. the tea if we're going the to talk tea, about yeah. the Herald Sun. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Look, I'll just pour it here. We'll just uh, get... Hang on, John. I'm assuming you want a cup, John. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Good. There we are. <laughs> what's Good, what's your that cup. Um, headline so there? Child Bride <laughs> Menace. That's what I'm leading up to, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't looked this morning at the Herald Sun. I um, Unfortunately, um, I'm sure I'm going to see it later. Here we go. It's my cup now. Well, it didn't make much of a noise. It's a bigger cup. Maybe it's due to the physics of the whole thing, I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, the last two days mm. they've had, I just, I'll do this just in passing, but it's obviously their go of the week, because Monday uh, revealed shocking rate of forced uh, marriages, child bride menace. Now, you can guess who that's aimed at. Sure can. Um, yep. And then yesterday, Gift of Terror exclusive. They've got all these exclusives this week. Aussie shopping cards funding jihad. And again, you can guess where that's going. So I just thought I'd mention that this Aussie week is obviously... cards funding jihad. Yeah, that's right. So um, <laughs> y- y- you can work out that this week is Get Jihad, Get Muslims Week and Herald Sun. So that's, that's that. Maybe they're, um, maybe they're on the slide in their uh, 
you know. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose because they, there's they, not too much they can attack the government over about the state budget, <laughs> other than say they stuffed it up with the federal government over funding for um, for a couple of things, the Tarogan Lions. Oh, I tell you what, talking about um, news corporation um, um, papers, the, the Weekly Times, you know that great bastion of the countryside. Mm-hmm. My God, did they have a did they have a number? It was supposed to be an opinion piece, you know, yeah. on the awfulness. Of, of course it was on the awfulness of the state government mm, because it's a Labor state government. Mm. And the whole thing was on transport, but it was it implied that the Labor government had done, you know, no more and probably less than the Liberal previous Liberal government had done for uh, public transport in Victoria mm. in, in the regional areas. Uh, you don't even and, do something. Yeah, well... <laughs> It was astonishing. I mean, the Liberals did absolutely nothing. They've done absolutely nothing over the last 30 years. It's always been Labor governments that have done, you know, the big useful, something. useful things in the country. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. The Weekly Times wasn't going to let ideology stand in the way of Oh, no, no. Well, the, the editor... Well, they weren't going to let facts stand in the way of ideology, I guess is what I meant. The editor, a bloke <coughs> called Gannon or Gatton or something, he... Mm. Um, he has a he has a column in the Herald Sun. Oh right. Um, every, every couple of weeks or so, he has a yeah, column in which yeah. it always is attacking the state yeah, government yeah, here for yeah. letting down the bush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, stuff. Yep. Oh well, it's just just the part of the course. I yeah, part of the course with Murdoch yeah. in these days. Yeah. Uh, just thought I'd mention because we got these um, these cuts to universities this week. Um, well, the first thing is um, <clears throat> the minister says they they're cutting it because of a um, of a dividend, efficiency dividend. Now, dividend, John, means, in fact, a distribution of money that mm, you've got, mm. um, an increase. So share dividend is, yeah, you know, yeah, if yeah, you exploit yeah. workers and have shares, then That's you, right. um, what et cetera. You've got, what you've got left off. So how can an efficiency dividend mean a cut? <laughs> I mean, as I said on the week that was, I think he must have failed basic grammar. I think all governments have been using that term, Kevin, for quite a while, and we know what they mean. They have, but it just uh, it seems to me to be a total misuse it, of the it term. It usually means we're going to squeeze a few, right. few lower-ranking lower people out of the organisation. Uh, you know, a few of the people down the bottom who don't cost much. We'll squeeze a few right. of those out. But That's by right. God, we won't get rid of any middle or high... Higher oh, no. managers, no, 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 and the squeezed real, real salaries. No, the squeezed no. dry will be squeezed drier. Yes, that's so right. There's not, the much, not the much more to dry. The squeeze from the bottom. It'll be a squeeze yeah. from the bottom up. Well, Don't worry about that. But on that point about cutting universities, etc. <clears> a few a week or so earlier, April twenty four, in fact, which um, uh-huh. was the eve of the great day in this country, John, the eve of the great day which honed our values on the slaughter fields. Oh, that fields. one. Yes, 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 yes. 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 Um, yes I got it. Now, had to think there for a moment. Yes. A report, <laughs> universities say they cannot afford further budget cuts after being hit with almost $4 billion in saving measures over the past six years and facing the prospect of a new efficiency dividend in this year's budget. Well, now what's happened, of course. A Universities Australia analysis released on Monday found universities and students had contributed $3.9 billion to budget repair since 2011 as a result of 89 budget measures in higher education and research. 
It goes on to say the uh, peak bodies, um, Belinda Robinson said the analysis confirmed that more cuts could push some of Australia's public universities into a precarious financial position. Beyond the impact on Australian students and research, further cuts would put in jeopardy our success as a powerhouse provider of international education, which contributes $22.5 billion a year to the Australian economy, a third largest export, etc., etc. Um, but it also goes on to say, she said universities have already contributed more than their fair share after mm. noting $1.41 billion cut from student start-up scholarships, the removal of $698.5 million in performance funding and another $648, nearly $649 million cut from the Sustainable Research Excellence Scheme. Universities do not have capacity to absorb further cuts. They are not posting excessive surpluses. In fact, these have been declining in recent years and are required to keep universities financially secure. Now, every point she made... Um, in fact, the minister on um, whatever day it was this week yep. ma- made the same point to prove the opposite. Mm, um, mm, but it mm. seems to me I'd rather believe the universities about their funding. <laughs> and in fact, it goes back to the fact that, um, of course, they were slashed under the Howard government. Uh, and under the Howard government, they were turned from educational institutions into business. I mm, mean, they were told mm. they simply had to be a business, a commercial enterprise. And I think the big mistake at that time was that the vice chancellor's pretty much to a person, went along with it and played the Howard game instead of resisting it and saying, no, we are educational institutions, the government has to fund us, etc. Well, that was at the high point of, um, you know, we're all... We're all um you know, we're all capitalists now. We run every organisation as if it's a capitalist one. I mean, they were they were gung ho about it. Then the um, the vice chancellors, they thought they could, they would you know enjoy having more control. But of course, they don't get more control. The government still still screws the screws the funding when they feel like it, mm. as as we can yeah, see. Yeah. And um, if they are, if the universities are about generating all this overseas income. The government better be careful about how hard it screws them, because you don't want the quality of Australian universities to start to look a bit um, a bit sad compared with the overseas mm. operation. All the uh, all those thousands and thousands of students who pour in here, they'll pour in somewhere else instead. And essentially, that's what's keeping them afloat. Mm. That's and, right. And impl- implication in what I just read is that yeah. that's going to going to suffer because yeah, of the yeah. further cuts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just uh, to top in there because um, I was actually in Macquarie, this is Macquarie University, Sydney, sure. and had the twenty six percent cut in uh, student um, at student admissions across Australia because they, the government had changed quite a few things, including the uh, the visa requirements. So, stu- and also the fact that it was extremely expensive to come to Australian universities, oh. so they went elsewhere. Yeah, and it was quite disastrous. That was back in two thousand eleven. 2012, so I can yeah, see it could yeah. happen, happening again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, well, there we are. I mean, it's um, the golden golden goose. You don't want to um, stop it laying golden eggs, do you? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to crack a golden egg. Um, just uh, last Friday, also the um, that monthly magazine that falls out of the Financial Review on the last Friday of every month usually has a. A, a theme. You love running, the real estate. A, a real theme estate running through it, yeah, yeah, and it has ads for the most expensive <laughs> things in the world, etc., etc. I don't think it actually markets toward me, but anyway, I still get it. And uh, I get it just to see what the class enemy's up to, actually. But uh, last week, it, the, the theme on the front page was the 50 biggest um, philanthropical trusts in Australia, and all, all by big business people mm. who no doubt are, the philanthropy is nowhere near what they would pay in taxes if they actually put it into where yep. the government yep. should meet yep. the same cost. Yep. But that's, let's ignore if that. If you wanted to be really snarky, yeah, that's so right. it might be guilt offerings. Yeah, that's offerings. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul Ramsey, who ran the, runs one of the 
biggest um, health um, private hospital oh, right. things, yeah. Um, he actually has died, but he's he's um, philanthropical trust, the Paul Ramsey Foundation, was top of the list. It won the thing. Isn't that wonderful? He's a, so they, they're a great people. They love people. They just want to help people. Isn't that great? Yep. Just a pity that two days later or three days later, that was Friday, yes. yesterday, Ramsey threatened to block surgery access ACCC, that's a dots, that's quote by me, okay. Australia's largest private hospital operator, Ramsey Healthcare, is being accused of threatening to reduce surgeons' access to operating theatres in Coffs Harbour if they become involved with a competitor. And there's a case now going on where a number of doctors decided to set up their own surgery, but they were told that, that they were told by by Ramsey that they wouldn't have access to their, or they'd have much reduced access or no access to surgery at their hospitals. And they had, at that stage, Ramsey had an exclusive in the area. Um, and um, mm-hmm. anyway, we're it's an ongoing case. We're not supposed to be very happy about monopolies, are we? Yeah. No, we're not. Uh, it is ACC's case, the ACCC's case, the local public hospital in Coffs Harbour did not put any competitive constraint on Ramsey because of the public hospital's long waiting list. New independent day surgeries in other areas have increased competition, reduced waiting lists and costs, delivered greater choice and improved access to surgical procedures. It is, it is vital to ensure such competition is not stamped out by established operators. Misuse of market power and other anti-competitive practices can cause significant harm to consumers, other businesses and the competitive process more generally, which is why we believe this is an important case for us to take. Well, that's very much a capitalist argument, but nonetheless, he's right in, in their terms. Yep. But Ramsey said it takes its obligations under the Act seriously, etc., etc. Um, yeah, so isn't yeah. that nice to know? But <laughs> So there they are. They're, they're big philanthropic, or they're the biggest in the country, but they just can't stand and if it's happening, And if it's happening yeah. in Cobbs Harbour, you can guarantee it's happening in, a, you know, 50 other places around Australia too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, really, John? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you sometimes come across as a bit of a sceptic, I think. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, went to a, we, we interviewed Dave Kerrin last Wednesday about a protest at Big Market last Friday. and uh, right. Oh, yeah, right. And it was very good. I went to it. It was a very good protest. This was about um, the redevelopment. The redevelopment of Big yeah. Market. But subsequently, Doyle's come out and said... Um, the people, we've, we've, um, people have a right to uh, protest, but uh, it's going to go ahead anyway. Um, so mm. that's that's a pretty encouraging thing. Uh, but he's heading off to the United States now to promote it. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, he's he's uh, really yeah he's, um, he's <laughs> they go- do they do Victoria Queen Victoria type markets in yes he's been invited to Chicago to brief global mayors on the local plan as the largest renewal project of its type in the world today now this is a big worry because they claim it's going to be minimal the changes to the market Suddenly, it's being promoted as he goes overseas as the largest renewal project of its type in the world today. That is very worrying, I would have thought. Oh, I reckon. His host is Chicago Mayor. Well, it says that he is uh, once, oh, yeah, once a key advisor to Obama who will preside right. over the Chicago Forum on Global Cities. Uh, the trip will cost ratepayers six and a half grand, while an influential think tank, the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, will pitch in five grand to cover his cost when he's there. Uh, he's been asked to speak at the forum on Melbourne's livability and the key ingredients underpinning that success, which is a pretty modest little title for him. The summit will be attended by government heads, thought leaders, business leaders and CEOs from more than 35 countries, etc. And he's a passionate advocate for reinvigorating the market, faces opposition, it says, but he knows it's, you know, it's all, all wrong. 
we've got to think about our beloved Queen Victoria market being relevant and prosperous into the next century. He said, well, I would have thought the best way is to leave it alone. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Anyway, that's... Uh, <laughs> that's Rob's latest. <laughs> there was... Paran market was fixed fixed a few years ago and there's a lot of opinions says it, it's never been the same mm. same since. Yeah. Yep. I was wondering about the South Melbourne markets because there's issues there yeah, particularly. Yeah. It yeah. sort of seems yeah. to have gone a bit to ground. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I'm not sure what's happening there. Oh. No, no, no. But um, no, all, um, um, Doyle's desperate to build this tower. You know, it's got to have a it's got to have a high rise element at the at Queen Victoria. And of course, there's, there's got to be lots and lots of car parking, so they're going underground with the car parking. Mm. Yeah. But the big worry is the underground's also going to include a refrigerated area. So instead of having fresh fruit all the time, you're going to be like Coles and Woolworths and their supermarkets, oh, okay. where you get fruit that's been thawed oh, and okay. dragged out. So. Oh, the worry no. is the, the quality's oh. too good at the market. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So quality. that's, that's oh. one of the big worries <laughs> that they're going to put in a refrigeration area in the underground areas. Oh, okay. under, oh, yeah, God. yeah. And just before we go to our guest, I just want to mention this one. Because, in fact, um, some weeks ago we regarded it as a bit of a joke that old Barnaby, Barnacle, Barnaby Joyce came out and said that um, the best solution was to open up more state forests to the company, uh. the so-called sustainable timber mob in Gippsland, and to with, re- remove the um, threatened species um, tag off the um, leadbeater's possum. Yep. Well, now they're actually seriously looking at it. Um, Pressure is mounting on the federal government to review protection of Victoria's leadbeater's possum amid a campaign to save thousands of jobs. Mm-hmm. And they're now taking it. They've actually asked the department to look at it. Um, and well, surprisingly, the Australian Forest Products Association has also formally nominated the creature's listing be reviewed. They claim that studies show that it, you know, they're more prevalent, etc., and there's more of them around. There's 50 Not, of them yeah. rather than 25. That's, that's yeah. right, yeah. And what's so, going to happen next with the rest right. of the endangered species? So yeah. then you just um, get rid of them and then you... Um, Go you, to the next one. Yeah, you chainsaw where they yeah. live, and it's all good. It's yeah. all good. It's great for, great for capitalism. Um, anyway, um, we'll be chainsawing the western suburbs, which they've been doing to Melbourne for years and years and years. Uh, after this break, we're going to talk to people about... Transport out west. Okay, we've got Christine Harris on the line. Christine's from a group called Spotswood South Kingsville Residence Group, Inc. The Inc. as well, which the spot and the Inc. might be interesting together. Um, and um, they were part of a group, the Inner Melbourne Planning Alliance, which held a meeting in, uh, we, promoted, we mentioned on this program last week, last Thursday night, protesting about the, um, the trans urban. Um, proposed Western Distributor, which was an unsolicited tender, of course, by Transurban, which the government agreed to. Christine, the meeting was a protest meeting, so why are you opposed to it? So the main issue I have with the project is that I feel that it just makes Melbourne a more car and truck dependent city when I think we should be moving away from that direction. Yeah. Johnny, have you got any thoughts on this at this stage? I've got John McPherson from the we XP to you, eh? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you have got the problem that the West is very close to the existing port port facilities, and yep. and you know the the uh, freight operators and everybody will say, well, somehow or other, somehow or other, that freight's got to get to and from from, from mm-hmm. the port. So, yep. but what do we say? So to there that? is actually quite a good solution for that. That was 
As I understand, fully costed and pretty much shovel ready, the Port Rail shuttle, which was going to get 3,500 trucks off Melbourne streets by using freight to get the... I'm sorry, using trains to get the freight to three inland ports around Melbourne and the trucks would then pick up the goods from there. Yep, um, and I agree with you about that. I think it, that should should happen. And if I can yep. just make, make a quick observation, mm. Melbourne has been very slow to set up rail shuttles uh, for freight to and from the port. Um, yep. Port, port Botany in Sydney, they've done a much, much better job in moving in that direction. So anyhow, go on, Christine. Yeah, so that's one project that we think yeah. would be a better way mm. to spend money. And then there's also the public transport aspect as well. So we'd like to see um, Melbourne Metro 2 put into place and that would provide much better public transport for people in the outer west who have a diabolical situation at the moment. And a lot of them are having to commute by car into the city when really that's the one trip that you should be able to get public transport for. Yeah. Because it's, and indeed yeah. those roads are becoming more and more clogged by the day, aren't they, coming in from those yeah. areas? And, uh, so yeah. people are desperate out there and they're, they're happy largely about this project because they need something. Sure. Mm. Now this, well, this, well, sorry, no, sorry Christine, John, yeah, yeah. you said Melbourne Metro 2. Did you mean a, another project along the lines of Melbourne Metro? Is that... Yeah. Which, yeah. W- so, what does that entail? I'm not quite sure. What yeah. That, so what that's, um... I, don't, I actually don't have huge details about it either. No. But it was explained on the night. But the night was fantastic that we had experts from all of these fields explaining yep. all of these yep. projects. And, my, and the person who was talking about Melbourne Metro 2 actually said it's really hard to get information about it. But you can actually find information on the internet about it. Um, so, as I understand it, it's a new train line that would be yeah. going out to the outer western suburbs and also linking in with fishermen's ends yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. I mean, that's that's where I sort of understand it's it's it seems to be very vague, and, but we can probably true to say it's it's been the more planning's gone on quietly within the bureaucracy that never, never gets um, never gets out yeah. into the open. Yes, and it, yeah. as I understand it. It would be a line that would sort of go under the river, maybe from Newport, and come up in the Fishman's yep. Bend area, and yep. and yep. A, and and actually provide a more direct um, uh, suburban metro line uh, into mm. into the into the CBD from from yep. the um, from the west, particularly Werribee and um, Point Cook and that sort of area. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, look, you're starting to convince me, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that, John. The, um, this me- meeting, of course, it, it arises out of the fact that this was an unsolicited <coughs> tender by Transurban to government, which seems to have jumped all over it and said it's wonderful. Um, but it, what it, the end result of this is that Transurban gets yet another extension to its contract on tolling, so it makes billions out of it. Um, you do say in your press release, though, that in a, in a city of Melbourne is rocked by the prospect of a massively over engineered mega freeway tunnel project that has no strategic planning basis and will not solve any of the traffic trucks on local roads is used facing the western suburbs that's a pretty bold statement uh, is that is that the case <laughs> so it's even by their own estimates it's not going to solve the problem for very long it may 
solve some traffic problems for a short period of time, but but, but we all know that you build more roads, you just get more cars. And what, what it's encouraging people to do is to use their cars more and encouraging more and bigger trucks to come into the city when... Like, there's other countries in the world where they've actually been ripping up freeways. There's a number of places in the United States where they've been ripping up freeways. Um, Seoul in South Korea. And here we are building a massive freeway that brings huge pollution costs to Melbourne with it. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes, you're, you're quite right. There's There are plenty of cities around the world, that particularly they're in it right in their inner, inner core. They've been ripping up ripping up freeways there. Um, yeah. Um, and it's been a, been quite surprising to see it happen in the USA, but it certainly has been yeah. has been happening yeah. there, yes. Yet the yeah. other side of that argument in Melbourne is you've got the usual suspects around the Herald Sun, the Murdoch Media, etc., crying out for more freeways around Melbourne, um, both yeah. sides of Melbourne, in fact, saying we need all these to be linked. Of course, um, Vic Roads keeps pushing it, the RACV keeps pushing it, but as you say, they... Every one of the freeways we've got was to, we were told was going to be the panacea to our problems when it exactly. was built, but uh, yeah. they all seem to become the problem then you have to solve again. Yeah. I mean, the reality is we need roads, of course. There's people who will have to use roads. We need roads to deliver goods on smaller trucks throughout Melbourne. But what you want to do is get as much of that traffic as you can off the roads. So build mm. good public transport do something like the port rail shuttle, get a lot of the traffic off the roads, and then you can survive with the roads that you've got quite well. Mm. Yeah, well, that would certainly be the hope. Um, mm-hmm. uh, do you think there should be any support for some sort of direct link, though, from the Westgate Freeway to the port without all the bells and whistles add-ons, if there was some sort of a link a link that would take take the truck traffic you know, around the Spotswood, you know, mm. area. Do you think there's any, any support for that? Um, so, I mean, I, I guess what I would like to see is build things like the Port Rail Shuttle, yeah. do the better public transport, yeah. and then once those things are done, see what the remaining problem is and then look at solving that. Yeah. <laughs> so th- there are some people who like the... Um, the idea of ramps still off the Westgate Bridge, and that's largely to solve the problems of trucks getting to and from the fuel storage. Yeah, yeah. But again, I think do those other projects first, see what the remaining problem is, and also there's potential that there could be other solutions to that, like piping piping fuel and that sort of thing out of the city, and then the trucks can fill up somewhere else. Mm. Yeah. There's been a proposal around for years that's never been adopted, and particularly when the outer ring road was built, that somewhere out there you ought to put a, a modal interchange where truck large trucks could in fact um, load down to either rail or rail and or um, smaller vehicles. The thing you're talking about for distribution throughout the metropolitan area, but that's never really been taken seriously by the authorities, unfortunately. Well, there, was, there is a, um, a plan for Port Rail Shuttle that, as I said, was pretty much shovel-ready, and it had three um, sort of inland ports or intermodal areas where the trucks would come and collect the freight, and that was mm. around Altona, um, uh-huh. one out to the east around Dandenong, yeah. and one to the north as well. Somewhere around Epping, perhaps, yeah. Yeah, yeah around yeah. Epping somewhere. Yeah. 
Yes, they, they have been. That, those planes have been floating around. But as I said, so, whereas you know, New South... we still don't have a good answer as to why that has been, you know, put no. on hold. Other than, well, it looks like it's been put on hold to build this project instead. Yes. Which I just, uh, it just is diabolical. I think that that has happened. Well, it, well, it was a much cheaper project, and I think a far better project. Yeah. Well, it's clear that this project had been talked about between, you know, Palace, the Treasurer, and Transurban before Labor got into power yeah, at this right. time yeah. too. I think it was quite clear that, that Palace had, uh, had teed all this up uh, with, with, um, with Transurban, and Palace himself has never seen a freeway he didn't want to build. So. No, he was, he was roads, <laughs> minister, roads minister in the previous government, Labor government, yeah. and he, uh, he was all about free... He was actually he was going to put a freeway smack through the western suburbs, in fact, at that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah OK. Uh, um, and so this is the government that I understood came in on a strong public transport platform yes. as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I'm laughing, but, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> but it, it does seem that the freight and rail freight seems <laughs> to be an area that the um, Victoria just cannot somehow get its head around it. Uh, yeah, it, I know. It, and I have heard also, I don't know, you sound like you know a little, a little bit more bit than about me it, about yeah. what's happened in Sydney, but yeah, I have heard that that has been quite successful yeah, as well. Yeah, they've, they've moved ahead and they've actually got those sort of inland ports mm. already operating. Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, um, the, the plan you're talking about has, has um, had in it. Yeah. Apart from the fact that there's currently a major dispute, industrial dispute at that Port Botany spot, but that's due to uh, Chris Corrigan yet again getting involved and in trying to crush workers, but that's another question again. Um, the, um, uh, the Inner Melbourne Planning Alliance, can you tell us something about that? How many groups are involved, Christine? Um, I'm, I'm not probably the best one to speak about the Inner Melbourne Planning Alliance. We've actually just joined in with the Inner Melbourne Planning Alliance. But involved with setting up the forum, there were a lot of groups involved, um, Public Transport Users Association, um, TT4E, which is um, Transport for Everyone, mm-hmm. and... Uh, who else was involved? Um... But anyway, there's a whole broad range of groups obviously involved. It. Yeah, that's, that's the yeah. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and just... the other thing is that we flew down from New South Wales, our own um, air quality expert, who she probably received the most questions on the night because to oh, me that's... that's one of the huge concerns about this. That there was... there's talk about this, this helps to fix. The problems of air pollution in the inner west, well, largely it's just shifting the problem onto the freeway, which, yeah, it's good not to have trucks on residential streets for probably largely safety reasons as much as anything, but you've still got the pollution problem on the freeway where people are living right next to that freeway. We've got Donald McLean Reserve in Spotswood, which is right next to the freeway, and, you know, the, the the health warnings... The first level of health warning when you get to high pollution levels is don't run around on the sports fields. We've got to, we're going to have our children running around on this sports field every day right next to this freeway and new truck ramps that are being built. Mm. Yeah. Doctor, that was Dr. Diane, Dr. Diane Keogh. And, of course, 
these yeah. these are designed for freight, and of course, and of course, um, freight has the most dangerous and carcinogenous. Exactly. Uh, the pollution from them with the the particulates is is quite did dangerous. You, did yeah. you point out how backward yeah. our um, diesel um, pollution standards are in road transport, big trucks? Definitely. I've been in contact with Diane for six to 12 months. Oh, okay. It's been fantastic, giving her time freely to us. Yep. And, yeah, I've learned a lot about particulate matter yes. <laughs> talking yes. to her. And, yeah, <laughs> and, and, like, we've got a situation, a situation in Australia where 33% of our trucks have absolutely no filtration at all. And only 18% of the trucks meet our current standards for filtration. Right. Mm. right. I've I've heard it said too that the um, the more efficient trucks tend to be used. That's the more modern trucks tend to be used on the long haul routes, and that the yep. older trucks tend to be used um, around cities. <laughs> and they're the that's ones, of course. Exact, with... That's exactly true. And I was just talking to someone from the the EPA. I had a consultation session last night, and I was just talking to them about that, and they were saying exactly the same thing. Yep. So yeah, that that shuttle from the port is yep. where the older trucks go are to coming. die. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yes, and uh, quite. Yeah, well, it, it, it is astonishing. Uh, I, I think the particulate levels that are allowed in Australian diesel fuel are, are incredibly high, compared with yeah. compared with most first world countries. So in yeah, most developed countries, um, all of the the EU have now got what's called a Euro six standard yep. for filtration of or for emissions. Yeah. Um, we're still at Euro 5, which I think they brought in in about 2013 or something. Mm -hmm. And the thing about the Euro 6 standard is that they actually have a limit on the number of ultra-fine particles that can be emitted. And ultra-fine particles are actually the ones that come from combustion engines. So they're the ones that we really want to be worried about. They get into your lungs, get through the avioli and into your bloodstream. And diesel exhaust, as you said, has been linked with cancer. So it's a fair chance that it's these ultrafine particles that nobody's measuring at all in Australia and we don't have any emission standard for them. So these are the worst ones that we just don't have any handle on at all in Australia. (laughs) Well, when the government recently talked about tightening our standards a bit more, the the industry screamed they'd need a lot more time to adjust, etc., the usual arguments, and yet... We don't make any of these things in Australia anymore, I don't think, anyway, do we, much? No, we don't make. So, so we don't I, make, I can't see the problem. But, we um, don't make large diesel engines. <laughs> no. no. Even small diesel engines. <laughs> so I'm not sure the problem is. Um, Colleen, just be, uh, Christine, sorry, before we wind up, I was getting at Colleen Hartland's name on the thing here. Um, yeah. Christine, um, what was the end result of the meeting and where do we go from here? So... We're going to have some more meetings. Um, just as you mentioned, Colleen, one of the things that she's going to be doing is asking in Parliament about trying to get... Because when the EES comes out, we have 30 business days in which to get submissions in, and councils are having difficulty trying to get a submission in within 30 days, let alone community groups. So she's asking questions in Parliament about, you know, what can we do about this? We need more than 30 days, so can we get this extended? Um, We're going to continue meeting with these groups and try and get the message out further. We're potentially going to be planning to hold a forum in the outer west of Melbourne to just let people know about the problems with the project out there. And, yeah, just trying to also get the Western Distributor Authority to listen to us as well about concerns that we've got 
even if the project goes ahead, trying to make it a slightly better project and we're having difficulties battling that as well. All right, Christine. Well, look, keep us in touch and we'll keep in touch and, um, and good yeah, luck with it great. all. Good luck. Let's good, luck. You. Yeah. good luck, Christine. Okay. Yeah. And thanks okay. for your time. Okay, Christine Harris there from the Spotswood South Kingsville Residence Group. Can I and, uh, uh, mention, yeah. a, just this is, this is a bit tangential, but it's... Mm-hmm. Even in the USA, um, you know, Los Angeles and California has had an is- issues with um, air pollution in a very, very big way for the last 50 years or so. The um, California puts pressure on not only road freight operators for their trucks to be clean, it also puts pressure on rail freight to, for, their, for their engines to be clean. And they're now requiring even the shunting locomotives in the big, big rail yards that back the... The, the ports of Los Angeles and, and Long 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 Beach, California, the locomotives there have to meet particularly high, good standards mm. of, of pollution. Um, these sort of things compare that with the Australian situation, where many of the many of the freight locomotives operating on Australian railways are f- themselves fifty years old, uh, with mm. absolutely no no attempt at proper pollution management. Mm. So we've got to be wary that not even on rail are we doing a good job. Well, we I... seem to pretend that somehow or other freight, uh, diesel pollution doesn't affect Australia, end of story. It's mm. just, you know. Well, I was talking to a, a you know, interstate um, truck driver right. um, recently who argued with me that they're, they're so made so well now that the pollution's pretty well non-existent, uh-huh. and therefore they're all wonderful. <laughs> That's the point we just raised, though. They yes. might be on the on those routes from interstate routes, but as you say, in the in the cities themselves, where it's even more serious, really, yep. um, because yep. of the congregation of people, um, it uh, they're using trucks that are much more polluted. Yeah, yeah, and we, and uh, yes, we have a lot of polluting trucks, and we have a, I believe we have an old truck population. A bit like our car population is quite old, our truck population is pretty old as well, and that means that the trucks are less efficient in, in every mm. way, yeah. including in, in their handling of pollution. Yeah, okay. Moving on, John, right. um, state budget yesterday, yeah, yeah. transport stuff, there's the Terrelgan line, that's yeah. an interesting one. Um, yeah. There's now a big argument now between feds and state, etc. over that, but um, just out of the budget, basically, what's your opinion? Yeah, well, well no, I was going to just... Ben, talk about that state federal thing. I think I, I'm quite impressed by the by the state government putting the the pincers on the feds over that money because it's money that that should have come back to the state because of the good price they got when they when they leased out the port of Melbourne. Mm. And the um, the feds say, "Oh no, you're a couple of months too late, uh, so we're not going to give you the money." Uh, this this seems to be an absolute rubbish rubbish argument particularly when the amount of money that's going to Victoria is tiny compared with the amount of money that's being dished out to New South Wales and continues to be dished out to New South Wales and to Queensland. Um, the, um, so the state government has put together this um, regional package that, that would use $1.4 million that they say they're owed by the feds. And, of course, the um, coalition members of federal parliament in, in those areas have all been campaigning <laughs> for better public transport mm. in those areas, you know, and tell, telling their people that the, st- that the local state government's been doing a terrible job. Well, of course, the, the, the state government's been doing a pretty damn good job compared with most other states in Australia where things like public transport are concerned. But they, but they now 
have those people in a pincer. They have the and they have the federal government in a pincer. There's people like um, the Karanganite member for Karangamite. Yes, Henderson. Um, Henderson. Henderson. Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Henderson. Henderson yeah. She's been she's been campaigning big time down there. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden. She really should be turning around and telling her people in in Canberra, "Hey guys, give them the money. They've mm. got a good project there." Well, indeed, it, it one of the plans includes extending the line to Torquay as mm. a sort of separate, or at least looking sort at of it. a spur line. Yeah, I think, sort of a spur line off yeah. the Warrnambool yeah. line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. It's quite interesting how these spur lines pop up. I, I don't know quite on what basis that that spur line is suddenly mm. very important. Well, like there, Turkey, there are other spur lines that might be more useful, like one to the airport. Well, yes. It's, uh, it's interesting that the uh, if as long as the what was predicted came to, and I haven't looked this morning, mm. but they they were allowing um, it's ten million for yeah. a business case for the Melbourne Airport, yeah. uh, but a hundred million for planning the northeast link, which is a road. Um, now, well, <laughs> it's only ten times more. But uh, what do we need to say, Kevin? <laughs> well, uh, well, you want to finish the other point first because the Melbourne Airport link's mm. an important one. We might come to that, but um, mm. you want to finish about well, the Taralgan, uh, yeah, well, pretty it? much yeah. had the um, Taralgan. They, they've seen the part of the biggest part of the package of one point four billion that the state government's come up with. Are plans to improve capacity on the um, Geelong? Uh, sorry, the Gippsland line, mm. the Latrobe Valley line, and that does seem to be one that needs needs um, needs improvement to capacity, more double tracking, uh, more platforms and stations. All the things that um, mean one train being running a little bit late doesn't make all the other trains even later. Um, I think one of the things they've got to look at, though, is running much bigger trains on the country lines rather than running just these fairly short trains. That you can't go on adding more short, more and more short, short trains. You've got to decide that mm. you're going to run some big, some big trains, maybe with some big double decker uh, carriages too, with 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 150 seats rather than 80 seats in the carriage and things like that. Um, you know the, the the velocity rail cars are very nice, but they they're starting to look like they're not very efficient use of use of the track when you when you've got you know thousands of people um, yeah. commuting in from every direction into Melbourne every day. And for people on bikes, often you can't get a bike on them. That's um, right. Yeah. Um, depending <laughs> yeah. on how many people and all that sort yeah, of thing, and they yeah, they yeah. vary and yeah, help and depends yeah. on the conductor yeah. or whatever. But yeah. yeah, I think it's I think it's um, time to start looking yeah. at some bigger. Bigger rolling stock and some bigger trains because you just can't keep running more, more and more small trains. The buses seem to be neglected. Very yeah, much so. Yes, yeah. um, I was actually got some figures here that just came up about the Melbourne bus network carried 122.5 million passengers last financial year, and a bus every 30 to 60 minutes is quite typical, even in rush hour. There doesn't seem to be any rush to improve the services. But there was one comment, you could have mm. a comment, John, that yeah. from the ABC uh, that said <clears throat> the city's decade-old bus services contracts expires next year and the government is planning to open up 12 out of 13 contracts to, ten- to tender to make it easier for the public transport to Trump Victoria to overhaul the system. Yeah, that, that, that should be very worthwhile if, this, if the uh, bureaucracy shows enough... Um, Stiff, uh, if they have enough resolution to actually deal with the bus companies. The bus companies in Melbourne have been very used to doing pretty much what they damn well please, thanks very much, mm. while, while the, uh, while the, the um, state government gave them huge subsidies to do so. And finally, this seems to be one, one time when the, uh, the 
the state government and the bureaucracy should be able to stand the bus companies up and say, guys, you've, you've been getting away with murder. You've, you've been running very inefficient services. You've been running services you want to run, not the services we need. We're mm-hmm. going to tell you what you're going to, going to run from now on in a much more, in a much more defined way. So yeah. we, we, we can live in hope that that happens. That could happen. Uh, but, the, mm. you know, the standard of services, and I think that was a comment from the PTUA there, mm. uh, the standard of services that are offered even in peak hour are so poor that you can understand why patronage on many of the bus services in Melbourne has been going down. It's actually fallen yes. um, 5% yes. um, in yes. the year. Which yeah. is a bit shocking. Yeah. 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 And um, indeed, there was that article in The Age just last week saying that um, Transdev has never met its contractual monthly punctuality target yep. and has overseen an annual decline in ridership. And it, um, although it doesn't get much publicity, its overall on-time performance is lower than Metro, Trains, Yarra, Trams, or V-Line. Um, yeah. This is Transdev runs a third of the buses, and it does those smart buses in particular. Well, the worry is they were, they were brought in. Transdev was sort of brought in making all sorts of you know terrific promises that they were going to be the new guys who were going to show the existing bus operators how to, how to do it how to do things. Mm-hmm. And as Kevin's so the others just, could be worse. <laughs> well, Kevin's <laughs> just showed how, how well Transdev's yeah. done, done. They also mm-hmm. have um, been recently uh, having incredible uh, graffiti problems on their buses too. It, once mm-hmm. upon a time, buses didn't get a huge amount of graffiti, but uh, Transdev is now leading the way with, uh, with very bad graffiti on their buses, oh, so they, which mm. seems... They're leading the way in graffiti. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah right, good. So, there was another, another point, too, about sure. the fact that spent all these billions of dollars in funding, but it's going to take many years before it can actually translate into a faster journey for mm. anyone on anything. <laughs> so, well, that, that, that is the problem, that, that um, unless a huge amount is spent on projects and, and the projects are, are funded really well... Um, you can say, okay, we, we can improve the, the, the service, say, on the Ballarat line where there's a lot of single track, not double track. But, but beyond a certain point, trying to put extra services on the line tends to reduce your reliability because trains tend to tangle with each other when they have to pass at these passing loops. Mm. And, um, you know, that, unless that's addressed, you know, in a big thorough way, it, it doesn't... Um, it, 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 it's very hard to deal with the piecemeal. Yeah. And we've got governments who are used to spending their money on public transport in a piecemeal way. Yeah. Um, the, the proposal is that the um, the line out to Melton from Deer Park will be double-tracked. Now, that's a very good, that's very, a very good project because that will, as well as enabling a proper, albeit diesel, a rail car service to run from, from Melton, which is booming, it will also mean it, it will also improve the Ballarat line a lot because there'll be double track over much more of the Ballarat line. Um, but I think you could say, in a general way, with the regional services that they've been caught by their own success. Mm. <laughs> when they ten years ago, and they did the regional fast rail project, which was the start of it, mm. they didn't expect the um, the patronage boom that they've had had ever since, and so they have been they have been scrabbling to catch up and of course this is this is administrations who who are really reluctant to spend big money on public transport they'd rather spend it on roads uh, uh, sorry to yeah so John. so yeah. just just it just yeah. means that that you know there there's a there are a lot of um you know things making it making it difficult to uh, 
you know. Mm. I was actually looking at last year's uh, sure. budgets um, about the how much taxpayers were subsidising public transport. Yep. It was up to the tune of about two point one five billion. Yep. Um, and in fact, the uh, the users, um, a train or a tram ride is very cheap compared to rival forms of transport. So this more realistic pricing could do a lot to help. I mean, is that going to happen? Are the well, beneficiaries it, all going to start to contribute more? Or? Well, oh. as usual, of course, you you know you've got to compare one one uh, mode with another. And um, believe me, the people who drive their cars, they get plenty of subsidies mm. as well, um, mm. and. You know, with a big city and with a big city that's got a very strong core and we need to get people to work in that core, it's always going to be public transport that's going to have to to carry the, carry the masses. Right. And there's the cost that I counted, like um, getting cars off the road or whatever, mm. because you do get off the road, the less pollution, the yeah, less, yeah. you know, they have health benefits because yeah. it might mean there's less accidents and that sort of thing. So there, there are other there's, benefits there's of public transport. Of, yeah. There's yeah. plenty of ways of, of, of slicing the cake and, and making it look good mm. for one and bad for the other. Um, but uh, state governments still judge that they have got to provide good public transport, and that seems to have been the, you know, we went through a period say twenty years ago, and people thought, oh, public transport, it's it's a marginal thing, but since then, uh, public transport's become roaring back as something very important in all the big cities in Australia, even in Australia. Well, because of the population growth, yeah, here, it's probably yeah. extra important. Exactly, really big yeah. Growth. yeah. yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. once you once you have that big population growth growth you have to do your public transport well but it's still it's still something that governments um, struggle with because there's still a tendency to think that roads are um, always valuable to the economy and the public transport is some sort of a, a drag on the economy yeah. before we run out of time because yeah. I was asked by someone to raise this the the amalgamation of a couple of tram lines 8 and 55 mm. which the government's promoting as a great thing for passengers was pointed out to me by the person who asked me that it actually is going to result in a reduced service for that area for the people. Yeah, that's the Turak yeah. one, etc. Yeah, Turak Road one. Well, um, the idea is that the Turak Road tram will no longer hit St Kilda Road and then go go through the city on um, Swanston Street, as it presently does. It'll be diverted um, at Domain across to um, across to Kingsway, and then and then it'll wend its way into the city via William Street. Uh, and of course, William Street is is considerable number of streets away from the most important central part of the um, the city core, mm. uh, and then it'll then it'll go up through uh, William well, up William Street, and then it'll head head through Royal Park and and up to West um, West. So Co- it's the West Coburg line, West yeah, Coburg the, line. Yeah, 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 which currently goes to the domain and terminates there. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is being done partly. Partly um, because of the issues around um, building Melbourne Metro and the difficulties with um, you know the amount of amount of traffic mm. and the amount of trams they're going to have to to uh, manage in the area around Domain while they're also digging a big hole for the Domain railway station. Mm. Um, um, sure, people on the Turak line are going to lose their direct service to the city, and so um, so. Are people from the West Coburg? They're going to come come down William Street rather than down, I think Elizabeth Street. No, no, that no, goes, no. That's, goes William Street it, now. It does go William Street now. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, Peel yeah, Street. Yeah, um, yeah, William Peel, yeah. and then up and around. Yeah. And I think 
I think in the last adjustment to tram services, there's been some reduction in the number of trams on that route, even though they're incredibly crowded. Yeah, in peak it's, hour. it's a pretty. It's it's only about. I think it's about a twelve minute service or something. At peak. Yeah. it's pretty. It's a pretty ordinary service yeah. actually, and it, yeah. and they often run smaller trams too yes. on that yes. route. Yes, well, so, I think yeah. I think the size of the trams might be going to improve, but yeah. you know the, I think the big issue is that the Turak trams will no longer be going down Swanston Street. So if you want to go to Swanston Street, mm. you'll have to interchange at the it's, main yeah. and try and force your way onto some other train. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's... Uh, so, um, you know, there is, a, there, is a, there is a thing that, you know, as, as the networks get bigger and bigger, you do have to get to a point where you expect that you will at times have to interchange. Mm. But your tram won't always take you exactly where you want to go. But but trams more than trains, the longer routes also mean there's more chance of being held up on route yeah, and exactly. slowing down and oh, being yeah, running late. Absolutely, so. yeah. And you, um, <laughs> you again, you need frequent services, so the interchange isn't too painful. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. that's a problem in Melbourne yeah. where the, where the services, even the twelve minute service, isn't isn't really flash. There's a sort of you've got to really look hard to find anything about cycling, mm-hmm. um, but there is a plan to come up with a cycling and walking strategy. I see from the, the yep. TAC and Vic Roads were granted 100 million last year to do that. Right, and um, nothing's happened. And yet. Nothing's happened yet, but yep. there's apparently some plans coming out in 2017. <laughs> but 17 kilometres of new bicycle paths built from Coalfield to Dandenong. Oh, that, oh next yes, year, that'll be that'll that's part of the level crossing elimination. Yeah, yes, yeah, but so. is that? I mean, I don't know what the accidents have been with cyclists and motorcyclists. Uh, well, in statistics, well, but that's been going up. The number of cyclists, mm. cyclists, um, indeed, pedestrian deaths have been rising in yes, Australia. And right? a, uh, there's now a there's now People a Melbourne staring at phones. They really there's now a Melbourne walking. Um, um, somebody representing walkers in Melbourne too, and they say, well, look, more people uh, walkers get. Get you know knocked over and killed in car accidents than, than do cyclists. So should we be should mm. we be asking questions about the amount of walking? I've been very careful after being um, seeing a motorist go through a red light when I was halfway across pedestrian mm. crossing, missed me by a couple of inches. So they seem to be doing that. Perhaps yeah. more regularly. You've got to yeah. be so careful. You've just got to watch mm. when you're on pedestrian crossings, yeah. not just walk yeah. madly, you know, blindly across. Yeah. 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 Just to wind up, John, because mm. uh, we're running out of time, but um, this 10 million Melbourne Airport Rail Link business case in the budget, yeah. uh, why, why do we need another business case? There was a study done when Peter Batchelor was Transport Minister, which concluded, of course, unlike all road studies that say you've got to build it, it said don't build mm. it. But We've done the studies, haven't we? I mean, well, the, yeah. Well, the, the patronage of Melbourne airports up around thirty million people, passengers a year, and uh, most overseas cities, when they've got their airport patronage to that level, have got a rail line to the airport. Mm. So it looks like we are well, dragging the chain, or we have been for for, for a long time. Well, forever. Uh, yeah, but th- then there was a hint in the paper the other day that perhaps um, the private airport. And the private um, Southern Cross Railway Station could get together and uh, do a little train between the two of them, mm. and it wouldn't cost the couldn't cost the government anything. Wouldn't that be mm. terrific? Good. The yeah. sort of thing Mr. Pallas would really like. Yes, that's <laughs> right. yes. <laughs> and tra- Transurban could put some money in, and maybe the Skybus mm. 
people could put some money in. I think it's a god. No, Mr. Palace wouldn't <laughs> like it because it's not actually a road, John. Think about it. Well, yeah, Skybus are experimenting with a St Kilda run now. Yeah. We'll have this, that's yeah. apparently going to be firm now. Except the, oh, okay. It's not the hours when you want to come no, back are a bit not very great. I think great. it's running every half hour. But uh, yeah, well, I'm, I, I, I'm irritated by the very high ch- charge on Skybus. I, I think there should be an ordinary public transport option. Is usable. Mm, $19 uh, is one way. Yeah, yeah, at ordinary met fares. I don't see why there shouldn't be a decent bus service at ordinary met fares that shuttles you from Broadmeadow Station. So if you're a, you know, if you're not a rich businessman, you're travelling on on um, Jetstar or Tiger, you can get a fare that's commensurate with your n- needs. All right, we're out of time, but the, the federal budget next week, one of the things being mooted is it's going to talk about the Melbourne to Brisbane, Brisbane to Melbourne uh, freight yep. rail link, etc. Yes. We'll talk about maybe yes. next month. We can come back to that. Yeah, yeah, so. that'll be that's interesting. Yeah, because yeah. most people are saying it it won't stack up financially, but maybe it'll stack up in other terms. I don't know. Well, railways are long, really long term things. Yeah. Fifty maybe years long things. This is a long, long railway thing, John. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> John, uh, thanks for coming in. Okay, Kevin. Yes, I will see you, you next month. Most um, thanks, everybody. Yeah, Lynn, thank thanks you. for keeping us on air and doing wonderful things. <laughs> Handy for making yeah. things and making sure we were kept on air and doing wonderful things. And someone thanks someone. Lynn, thank John for coming in. And oh, thank thanks, you, John. And very thank much yourself for doing in. a great job. Yeah. <laughs>